0: To positively impact and change the lives of the patients she serves our next guest has dedicated her career to strengthening her organization through processes systems partnerships and new ventures paula tariki chief strategy officer at parkland community health plan joins us to discuss how she and her team are finding innovative ways to eliminate barriers to care including financial language health literacy and housing challenges additionally Paula discusses her experience in managing the continuum of care for women and their infants, including ambulatory, emergency, and inpatient for one of the largest maternity services in the United States. Join us to learn how Paula and Parkland Community Health Plan fosters a holistic wellness environment for the communities they serve. Let's go. Paula, a very warm welcome to our podcast today.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, given your passion for facilitating care for women and children and finding innovative ways to eliminate barriers to care, including financial, language, health literacy, and housing challenges, I'm grateful to have this very important conversation today. But before we dive in a bit of housekeeping, while listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Paula. It's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Parkland Community Health Plan team are partnering with local organizations to help create a holistic wellness experience for all of your members. But first, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world?
1: I would say it may be difficult, but listen to those people who might be complaining. Oftentimes, people will complain because they're facing a problem or an issue or they need a solution. So I would say, even though it may be difficult, listen to those people who have a complaint because you might even find yourself helping them solve it. And you might come up with a really creative solution.
0: You know what I also love about that, Paula, is at times when you hear the complainers and a lot of people sometimes write them off, right? But to your point, let's listen to them. Let's dive in. Let's go a few layers deeper to understand where the source of that is, why they're complaining, what's going on. But what's fun about that at times is if you can take that complainer and turn them into a super fan or an evangelist or somebody that really supports your organization. Have you seen that over time with all the work you guys are doing with your members?
1: Absolutely. Not only, you know, here at the health plan, but throughout my career, I have had the opportunity to be in charge, you know, of a large area or small area. And oftentimes that sort of, you know, I've got an issue or I need help where you are able to collaborate and really partner with people to make their job easier or solve a problem for a patient. That's often part of the fun thing that you do, you know, really kind of working together, finding out where the issues are and just figuring out how do you go forward? How do you bring resources? How do you bring tools? How do you bring uh, new team members in to help you solve the issues?
0: Yeah, no, I personally like to run towards the complainers towards the people that are upset. Because I always find that there's great opportunity for advancement there for whatever you might be with the initiative you're working on, for your company, whatever it might be, run towards them. There is nothing wrong with that. Understand the opportunity, bring some empathy and really dive deep to understand what the problem is and how we can take that and turn that into an opportunity. I absolutely love it, Paula. And it is definitely needed now more than ever in healthcare. We have a lot of problems. There's a lot to complain about but there's a lot of opportunity that I know is all in front of us, including what you and the team at Parkland Community Health Plan are doing. And we're gonna talk about all of that, all of the good things happening within your camp after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Salesforce, the global CRM leader, empowers companies of every size and industry to digitally transform and create a 360 degree view of their customers. Salesforce's Patient 360 and Customer 360 power the business of health, helping the healthcare and life sciences industries reshape how they operate and collaborate for better outcomes. Salesforce delivers trusted health solutions from anywhere with an integrated suite of industry specific apps from omni channel care and sales to patient services and beyond. Salesforce's expert community of healthcare trailblazers and leading industry partners help inspire and drive change. And Salesforce supports you in adapting for what's next with a scalable and interoperable platform. Salesforce believes the future of health is connected. Do you? To learn more, visit Salesforce.com/businessofhealth. All right, we are back with Paula Tariki, Chief Strategy Officer at Parkland Community Health Plan. Paula, thank you so much for setting the stage today for a very important conversation. Don't be afraid of the complainers. Run towards them. That's where the magic is. There's the opportunity to help move our industry forward. And speaking of moving the industry forward, you and the team at Parkland have been doing some wonderful work. You've had two stints at Parkland totaling 25 years. What a storied career. I can't wait to hear that journey of how you got into it in the first place. You coming back for your reunion. And then, of course, Current State, where you currently are as an executive leader with the organization and how you and the team are moving things along as we discussed earlier, to really talk about holistic wellness and experience for your members. What does that look like? Especially now, Paula, what does that look like in the midst of you know great chaos, which was the pandemic has completely reset how we do things in healthcare, right? It is a very chaotic time, but from my perspective, I see the times of great chaos present great opportunity as well. So we'll talk about that. And of course, Paula, we're going to talk a little future state as well. Where are you and the team heading What does that look like on the macro as well for organizations like yours across the country? How should we be thinking as leaders in healthcare of where you see things heading, not only for the industry, but also for your organization? And of course, how we can help you out, and then we'll get out of here at the back end. But first, Paula, two stints over 25 years at Parkland. Give us a little bit of that journey and then we'll dive into all the good trouble you guys are causing today.
1: Sure. So I started out as an administrative resident many moons ago at Parkland and was told we never hire our residents. So start looking for a job now. And so I thought, okay, I'll just work with people in such a way that they will give me a good recommendation at the end of my residency. And then about nine months in, my preceptor said, well, we've changed our mind. We'd like for you to go and work upstairs with the women's and children's area. And so that's how I really came to work for so long with the women's and children's services area. I started out doing just miscellaneous things that needed to be done. One of my first projects was to supervise the health unit coordinators in the neonatal ICU. And one of the things that we did was we called and we begged nurses to come to work because we had so many babies in the NICU. That led to lots of other jobs. I was responsible for the budget and developing the operating capital budgets. Then I went on to supervise different departments. We had a pediatric unit and a pediatric ICU. We had sonography, um, different clinics, and then eventually I was asked to take my predecessor's position as the VP of Women's and Children's Services. And then a few years into that, I stayed about 10 years I decided to have children of my own. And so during that time, I left Parkland and did a little bit of consulting, worked part time and just did a number of of different projects during my consulting days. And then one day I got a call back from Parkland from the woman who took my place. And she said, you've got to come back and help us. We're taking over these clinics from our partner organization, UT Southwestern, and we need somebody to help us with the business operations aspects. So it was really a great opportunity to get back into things and to help with that transition. It created a whole continuum of care for Parkland before it had been sort of separate in that the outpatient services were done by UT Southwestern and the inpatient services were done by Parkland. And so it really allowed us to put everything together and create a continuum of care for women in the Dallas area. It was a great growth opportunity. It was a great partnership opportunity. And after that, I just continued. I helped build the new Parkland Hospital and design all of the areas for women's and children's services and all of the different inpatient and outpatient facilities there. That was a great learning opportunity. And then one of the big challenges in my career was when CMS and the Joint Commission said that we weren't really doing things the way that we needed to. And that was in about 2011, I believe. Or 2013. It's all a blur because it was so much work. (laughs) But during that time, we had a number of corrections that we had to put in place. And we were able to come out of that with a really great, strong, safe, and reliable organization. During that time, I learned a lot about compliance, regulatory uh, responsibilities, and it was really another great professional opportunity for me and really felt like I was making a difference. And that's one of the reasons why I've stayed at Parkland so long is that there's never a dull moment and there's always another opportunity to learn something. And that's how I came to be at the health plan. And so one day my boss said, "Uh, We need you to go over there to the health plan. They need a little help. And so I said, Sure, that sounds like a great opportunity. And it really meshed well with some of the early things that I'd done in my career in the women's services area. I had helped with determining how we could help women pay for the care that they were receiving. Oftentimes, we saw women who would be crying in the waiting room and you'd stop and say, is there something I can help you with? What's going on? And she would say, well, my doctor told me I need a sonogram and I don't have $1,500 to pay for it. So I'm trying to decide whether I should do it or not. And at that time, it was very difficult to qualify for Medicaid, but the state of Texas had kind of opened up the number of women who would be eligible. And so we began to assist women with the application process. And we were able to qualify about 95% of the women who delivered at Parkland for Medicaid, which was great for the patients we serve, but it was also great for us as an institution because we had always relied on tax dollars to fund our care. And so it was not only a way to help women, but it was also a way to help the taxpayers of Dallas County. And so that really meshes very nicely with what I'm doing at the health plan today, because the members that we have qualify for STAR and CHIP, which are primarily programs for women and children. And so I feel like everything has kind of come full circle in that I am able to continue that work that I started through the health plan.
0: That is really exciting. And of course, Paul, I know we have a lot to talk about of, you know, you said that all that hard work years ago was a blur and of course, still a lot of hard work in front of all of us. Again, given the rapid and and incredible change that all of us experienced over the past number of years, we're going to dive into that in just a moment. But Paul, let's talk about also Give us a little bit of a history lesson. When did Parkland turn on the health plan? You said, hey, your boss, they may need some help over there. When did that all happen and why? What were some of the triggers that make that happen as well? That might be an interesting conversation.
1: Sure. So the health plan has been around for more than 20 years and was really established when the state of Texas decided to go into managed Medicaid. And so Parkland decided at that time to begin the health plan. And for those first uh, almost 20 years, the arrangement had been that we would work with a third-party administrator to really administer our business. And so we had a very, very small team of about 15 people who provided oversight of all of those vendors to provide the Medicaid managed care services. And so in the last few years, when I was told, you know, they may need some help. One of the things that we had seen is that our operations were really suffering. We really didn't have enough people to oversee everything that needed to. And we needed to make some improvements in the way we were doing business. And so we had a new CEO who came on board around 2019. And one of the things that he said to me was, you should really come over here and work for us full time. And so I decided that that sounded like a great opportunity and was, you know, would be both challenging and rewarding. And so we began to create a path forward for the health plan. We decided that we would transition away from our TPA and begin to bring things in-house that we wanted to be responsible for ourselves, which included member services, provider services. We wanted to be the voice on the phone. We wanted to be the people that our stakeholders spoke to, not you know a vendor who was doing things on our behalf. And so that was a huge challenge. And we finished our transition about a year and a half ago in terms of our full transition, flipping the switch, going live. And we have come a long way in terms of our staffing. We no longer have 15 people. We're almost up to 180 people. So it's been huge growth, very quick, and all during the pandemic.
0: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's so exciting. And of course, through that, you know, as we mentioned on the front end of this, Paula, that you have a big passion for facilitating care for women and children and finding innovative ways, innovative ways to eliminate care for them. You discussed that a little bit earlier. And that has led to you overseeing operations for one of the largest maternity services in the country, including that entire continuum of care from ambulatory, emergency, inpatient, and ongoing care for women and their infants. Paula, talk about that. It sounds like that that is something that you're deeply passionate about. How has that experience been and what does that look like in regards to delivering that within the communities you serve?
1: Well, I would say that that was a very, very important part of my career and really set the stage for the way, the passion that I have for my job. I had the opportunity to work with so many amazing people and so many innovative, creative intelligent, scientific people along the way. Um, I had the opportunity to work with someone who was really passionate about solving issues. Early in my career, one of the problems was that Parkland was seeing this huge increase in the number of births. And we didn't have enough space and we didn't have enough residents and physicians to take care of everyone that we needed to take care of. Because Parkland, some folks may recall that, you know, that's where they took Kennedy after he was assassinated. But also there are so many other things that are going on at Parkland. It's a huge trauma center, burn center, and as you mentioned, one of the largest maternity centers in the country. And so many of our patients are underserved. They don't have resources or insurance to go to other providers, so they come to Parkland. And so our challenge has been to make sure that we meet the demand, and make sure that we are there for the community and offer the best services possible. And so some of the things that we did along the way included identifying new ways of providing care. So, for example, training nurses to become advanced providers and nurse practitioners, including OB nurse practitioners, pediatric, neonatal training. And actually, we had a school for midwifery so that we could supplement the physician resources in the delivery room and also in our clinics. There are a number of clinics out in the community where we provide prenatal care and then a specialty clinic on our main campus. So there's a whole continuum, as I mentioned before, whereby we can allocate the resources in the right place at the right time for the right patients and then make sure that those who need critical specialty services get to that care as well. So The other thing that I would mention is the research that goes on at Parkland. It is this incredible body of work that contributes to the textbooks that most medical schools use called Williams Obstetrics. All of the care that's provided at Parkland is very heavily researched and becomes evidence-based practice. And it's very consistent in providing excellent outcomes for the women and children who are part of the delivery service there at Parkland. And I think that now we're even bringing that forth into the health plan so that we can share those evidence-based approaches with even more community providers.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for that, Paul. And of course, our community is global and Let's level set just a bit. In regards to Parkland, who are the communities that you do serve? Can you outline that a bit, just to level set for our community?
1: Sure. So Parkland Health and Hospital System is actually three different, at least three different organizations. We have the health system, we have the health plan, we have the Parkland Center for Clinical Innovation, and then we also have the Parkland Foundation. And so Parkland Health System is really focused on Dallas County and providing that bedside care for Dallas County. However, the health plan is responsible for a seven-county area in the North Texas area. And so we go even beyond the borders of Dallas County and serve folks in Collin County, Ellis County, Kaufman, Navarro, Hunt, Rockwall. So we have a much larger service delivery area than Parkland Hospital as a whole. And so we make sure that we understand the communities that we serve, even some are urban, some are rural, and some are kind of in the middle.
0: Thank you for that. Level set a bit to understand vast area that you do serve. It's a big swath, that's for sure. But Paula You know, we mentioned the pandemic a number of times. Let's go there for a moment as well. You talk about the significant growth you had for the health plan in the midst of the pandemic and how much you grew from 15 people to almost, you know, 200. It's amazing. Let's also dive in. How has things changed for you and the team being the chief strategy officer, setting the vision to move forward? How has things changed for you and the team, given what the crisis and the calamity that we just went through as a world?
1: Well, I can remember standing in the hallway and waving goodbye to John Windling, our CEO and saying, well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, thinking that we would all be back very quickly. So that was probably one of the biggest challenges is just going with the flow, figuring out what's next. How are we going to respond to this? We had the opportunity to work very closely with our providers as well in terms of how can we bring folks in? How do we ensure care is still being provided? Making sure that we reached out to them to see how are you doing? What are your patients saying? What are our members saying? How can we connect with them and make sure that they feel safe when they need to get health care? One of the challenges that we had was really finding the right people that we needed to assist us. We were going through the midst of this huge digital transformation, all of our systems were changing. We were building, we were designing, building, implementing, testing, creating new processes, creating new documents, training folks, just, you know, altering our organization completely. And so we had to come together as a leadership team. We had to collaborate. We spent many, many hours on WebEx and Zoom, as you can imagine, as so many people did, just touching base, figuring out, you know, where do we want to be? How do we want this to work? What do we want our culture to be? John was very good at outlining his vision for the organization. And, you know, our was to help put it in a very succinct and understandable body of work. And I did that in collaboration with our chief marketing officer. And what we boiled it down to was we wanted to be the health plan of choice for our members, our providers, and our stakeholders out in the community, and we wanted to do that in a financially sustainable way. And so that really encapsulates where we're going and what we're doing. And as the strategy officer, one of the things that I do is help to grow and evolve our understanding of that philosophy and of that vision. How are we going to get there? What are the things that we need to do to get there? How do we align the entire organization around that mission, vision, and values? Because certainly, you know, some folks could read that or hear that and say, oh, I know what to do. And they would go do whatever they think is the right thing. But if we're not aligned in our actions, then we end up with maybe a not so effective approach. And so that's one of the things that we've been very conscious about is alignment and coming back together periodically to say, are we aligned? What do we need to adjust? How do we need to communicate with our teams? Do we need to come together in person so that we can have that whiteboarding experience, be in the same room at the same time, everybody hearing the same thing? And so I think as the pandemic has eased, we have come back into more of those in-person sessions, more of those collaborations, and really kind of examining has the organization evolved in the way that we wanted to or the way we envisioned? Do we need to kind of reverse, back up, start again, reset, and move forward?
0: Well, and also you mentioned too, a number of times, that you know, core to your function as a chief strategy officer is to set the vision moving forward. So let's go there. Let's pull the crystal ball off the shelf for a bit here, Paula. Let's talk a little future state. You know, one thing that I mentioned on the front end as well is how passionate you are about eliminating barriers to care. This is one of the biggest challenges right now for all of us in this industry and to move forward and help to solve that. And I want to discuss that a bit. How do we do that moving forward? with a massive change that we've all experienced. It's only going to continue to change. It's getting faster and faster. What do we need to do to help eliminate barriers to care? And then of course, Paula, where are things heading from your perspective as an expert and working in the space that you do, not only on the macro for us as leaders tuning in, you know, macro on the industry writ large, but also where's Parkland heading? So give us a little bit of that view into the crystal ball.
1: Well, I would say that, you know, where we are heading is to really serve more and more of our community. And One of the things that we say often is that we'll never be the largest health plan, but we can be one of the best. You know, we'll never compete with the huge conglomerates that are, you know, national or multinational, but we can be focused in on our community and make a difference. And so that's really where we're headed and how we get there is going to be the key. One of the things that we try to do is to be innovative in our approaches and You mentioned eliminating barriers. One of the things that I've learned throughout my career is that you may identify one barrier and you may be able to eliminate it or minimize it. Something else is going to pop up. And so just by eliminating one doesn't mean your job is done. You need to keep going. And it's almost like, um, you know, the hurdles race that you see, you know, like they're jumping over one and the next and the next and the next. So it's this continuous process of identifying, examining, maybe even analyzing, getting data about it, and then figuring out what do we do about it? How do we get rid of it? And I learned that early in my career as we were looking at the delivery of prenatal care. You know, what was stopping women from getting their prenatal care? And sometimes it was, well, you, you all don't speak my language. And so I don't feel like I have the opportunity to communicate. And so then, you know, putting in place language assistants who could be there or, and then over time, even digitally to assist with that patient care at the bedside and then saying, OK, well, that barrier is eliminated. Now, what's the next one? Well, now I can't get to the clinic. So now how can we provide transportation? Okay, now, you know, what's the next thing? Well, now I'm afraid that you're going to ask me for a copay. Okay, well, let's see how we can do that. Okay, now I go to my visit, but I can't get my medications. Okay, now let's see, how do we get you your medications? And just looking at what's the next thing? How do I solve it? And never tiring of solving that puzzle. You know, I think it really helps in in strategy and probably in operations, too, if you like to problem solve, if you like to figure out the puzzles and see how the pieces fit together and to make a difference. And so I think that those barriers continue to arise. And before, I don't think we really had that phrase of social determinants of health to really categorize what we were doing and eliminating those barriers. But I see that as a huge area of growth and development, exploration, and also, you know, to see what are all those barriers and how do we identify them? How do we speak to our customers, our members, our patients about them in such a way that people can be vulnerable and can really talk about them honestly without feeling judged or criticized or in some way blamed for that barrier or that need that they have? And so I think in the future, that's where I see a lot of work.
0: I couldn't agree more with you, Paul. And I'm so excited and encouraged to hear leaders like you that are helping push our industry forward around the notion of SDOH. We're hearing it being talked about more and more. And at the end of the day, right, it all starts with a conversation, right? It all starts with, hey, let's talk about that elephant in the room, if you will. And I could not agree with you more. There's so much, I still think it's early, you know, early on's with social determinants health and what we can achieve there. And I think it's going to be a huge opportunity for us as industry leaders moving forward. So thank you for sharing a little bit of what's happening in your camp, future state, and where you see things heading. But of course, we want to flip the script on you a little bit, Paul, and be able to help you out today. We have some amazing leaders from across the country and around the world tuning in on the weekly. What's one problem, need, or question that you and the team at Parkland have that our community can be helping you with?
1: I would love to hear how folks have innovatively solved Approaches to SDOH. I was recently on a call with another health plan, and they told us about this really great program where they had used boxes similar to the little free libraries to place food and supplies in their communities. And I thought that was so clever. And so I know that in your listening audience, there will be lots and lots of great ideas like that. So I would love to hear about those creative and innovative solutions. Hopefully, people will be able to share those and won't mind if we multiply those throughout the industry.
0: Oh, I love it! And in a moment, I'm going to ask you how they can get a hold of you to help you out and, and share some of those innovative ways. But I love the example you just gave, Paula, because I've even heard some of our neighborhood members call them micro food pantries, yes. which I thought is brilliant. You know, it looks like these—you've seen them historically; these little boxes that look like little mini libraries, and now they're turning into these micro food pantries—is what I heard from some members in the community. I thought it was brilliant. A lot of things, sometimes innovation doesn't have to be software or technology. It can be as simple as Putting a post in the ground and opening up a little micro food pantry. Those are some of the ways that we can start tackling, you know, social determinants of health. Thank you for sharing such a simple yet amazing innovation that all of us can look towards in our community. And for a lot of those innovators out there that are working on some of those things that you're interested in learning more about, how can they get a hold of you, Paula? Social media handles, websites or otherwise, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Probably the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. And you'll find me under Paula Terecki, F-A-C-H-E.
0: Easy enough. And we'll have those contact points online. We'll also include the Parkland website so you can go and see all the wonderful work happening over on their website. And just head on down into your favorite podcast player, the episode notes. There'll be those contact points for you to click on through to get a hold of Paula and the team. Of course, you can head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode to learn more about Paul and all the wonderful work. Leave some comments or feedback. And, of course, to find those contact points, again, over at PassionatePioneers.com. Well, Paula, we're going to start winding it down. But before we get out of here, we have one more little piece for you. It's a fill in the blank. I'm a passionate pioneer because
1: I'm inspired to connect our members to meaningful healthcare experiences.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, way to bring it all together at the end here, Paula. Thank you so much for being with us and sharing all of the history lesson from Parkland, those two stints you've had and you're currently still working on there as the chief strategy officer and all the wonderful work happening. And as you continue, and you and your team continue to move our industry and our health system and the care we're giving in our communities forward. Can't thank you enough for all that you do. For now, Paula, thanks again for being with us today. I do look forward to being in touch. Thank you.